Man, I'm so glad you're here today. Hey, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. You know, we're just reading that, listening to that song. That is really impacting my heart. Just, you know, you're all I've ever needed. And I don't know how that struck you today, but it just really has a profound impact on my heart. I guess probably because of something we're talking about today. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but since the beginning of the new millennium, back in, the, you know, back in 2000, uh, man, the economy was just really humming along. Things were going so well. Man, then 9-11 happens. And the American economy just crashed. And I don't know exactly how much was lost or how much uh, was, was, uh, was taken away by the crash of the economy then. But then along comes, you know, a few more years of prosperity. We're doing pretty well. And then 2008, man, the bottom. You remember that? 2008, the Great Recession. Man, the bottom just fell out. And uh, I read the other day that <clears throat> America's, America lost something like $11 trillion in value uh, in just in terms of uh, home values, and then also people's retirement plans took such a hit because of the stock market crash. And then we start to slowly recover from 2008, 2009, and things are getting better and better. First couple of years of the Trump administration, now the, the economy is doing really, really well. And then who would have ever thought a virus comes in, there's a massive pandemic, and again, another economic crash, and people are you know really struggling. Small businesses suffered huge setbacks. Back. So many, so much personal worth was lost. And then the pandemic finally subsides. People start going back to work. We have, you know, record, uh, record employment. Uh, wages are increasing. But then along comes the worst inflation that we've had in 40 years, you know, since I was in high school. And people uh, are, are, are really struggling because uh, inflation has increased faster than wages. And we're seeing some things happen like uh, energy prices rose 42% over the last year, which is the largest increase since 1980. And I was reading this week, the economic hardship report says that the, the, the cost of living, uh, just the everyday life for the average American middle-class family has more than doubled in the last 20 years. And I, I was just thinking about that this week, just this, this roller coaster ride that we've been on for so long. You know, people say money talks, and it's always saying the same thing, goodbye. You know, it seems like, man, what are we going to do? What, and how do we handle this? And so it reminded me of a verse that we kind of glanced at last week, but in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, or to put their hope in wealth. Why? Because it is so uncertain. And we've certainly seen that since the year 2000, haven't we? And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And our title today is How to Build a Firm Foundation in Such an Uncertain World. And when we think about this, it is so, so needed today because we're all thinking so much. I don't know if you, if you feel this or not, but I know that I do. The world feels more uncertain and more shaky than perhaps any time I can remember in my lifetime. You know, with the, with the war in Ukraine and then the famine in Africa that's impending and things like that that are going on. It's just incredible how uncertain the world feels right now. I want to talk to us today about how to build a foundation, even in a world like the one that we're living in. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a very familiar parable that Jesus told. And I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and thank you all for letting me go. Uh, it's very generous. The church lets us go and do these things. But I heard somebody speak on this parable, and they brought a nuance to it that I had never seen before. It has really impacted my heart in a big way. And I wanted to share this with you. And so based upon something that was shared at that conference, 
that I kind of have, you know, elaborated on and added to. I want to share something with you today that's really, really important to my heart today to share with us. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, The teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. And the teacher, he asked, What must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus answered him, What do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You are right, Jesus replied. Wouldn't you like to hear Jesus say that to you? You are right. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? He said, do this and you're going to live. That should have ended the conversation right there. But the scribe, he just couldn't leave well enough alone. I don't know if you ever do this, or what the Pharisee does here, but someone makes a great point and you, make the, you want to have the last word in the conversation. I just want to give all the young gentlemen here a little word of advice. I've been married 31 years this Wednesday. And I get the last word in every conversation. No matter what we're talking about, I always tell Melanie, yes, dear, you're exactly right. All right, I get the last word every time. Look at verse 29. He wanted to justify himself, so he said, well, then who is my neighbor? And by law, the Jews only considered other Jews their neighbors. If you were a Gentile or a Samaritan, they didn't feel like you the, the, that, that Mosaic law applied to you. They didn't have to treat you as a neighbor. And so Jesus starts to tell a tale with a meaning. There was once a man who was going, this verse 30, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when robbers attacked him, stripped him, beat him, and left him half dead. And what Jesus is doing is he's deliberately setting this parable on this road between Jerusalem and Jericho because there was a stretch of the road where people were attacked so often, it was so violent, it actually had a name called the Way of Blood. And it was a really, really tough place. So many people robbed and killed there. Look at verse 31. It so happened that a priest was going down that road. When he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. And a Levite also came, went over, looked at the man, and then walked by on the other side. Now you notice they're headed down. Uh, Jericho is at a very low elevation. Jerusalem at a very high elevation. And so these men, the priest and the Levite, they had just finished all of their religious duties. And so I want you to try to imagine the Jewish temple and all of its majesty, a beautiful, awesome place. And when the priests and the Levites would go there, there were uh, ritual baths they had to take, uh, ritual cleansings, their clothes were washed multiple times, and you know, these guys were walking back home from Jerusalem down toward Jericho, and man, they, they still have the smell of incense on their clothes. I mean, they have been in worship, man, they have been practicing their religion to the uttermost, they have been bathed, they've been purified, and what do they do? They pass by on the other side. Their rules for right living were just powerless in this situation. It's kind of a dangerous situation. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do overcomes sin, being weakened by our flesh. God did. He sent His Son in the likeness of a sinful man as an offering for sin. And He condemned sin in the flesh, overcoming it in the person of His own Son. And here's what happens. Yeah, this dying man, he's been beaten, he's been robbed on the way of blood. And salvation, deliverance comes to the man, but from a very, very unlikely source and a very unlikely partnership partnership. 
is a key word today. Look at verse 33. A Samaritan who was traveling that way came upon the man. He saw him and his heart was filled with pity or compassion. He went over to him. He poured oil and wine on his wounds and he bandaged them. He put the man on his own animal, took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him. He told the innkeeper, and when I come back, I will pay whatever else you spend on him. Now, I don't know about you, but all my life, I've always been taught and told, you know, we need to be more like the Samaritan. Absolutely right. But I never noticed before is that this dying man was given salvation because of this partnership. You see, Jews had names for Samaritans like half-breeds and heathen dogs. And they considered them to be, you know, uh, spiritually defiled and, you know, sinful to the core. And think about this. The Samaritans, were, they were despised and rejected by the Jews. And this is how the prophet Isaiah had predicted that the Jewish people were going to respond to the Messiah when he came, Isaiah 53, 3, it's up on the screen for you. He was despised and rejected by men, and we thought nothing of him. And you see this Samaritan bringing this just scandalous grace to this dying man on the side of the road. He went far beyond what any normal person would do. First of all, he went to the wounded man. Why didn't the priest or Levite stop? Because it's the way of blood. It's a dangerous thing to do. But he entered into that man's situation, though it was dangerous, and he helped the man. He applied oil to soften his wounds. He applied wine to clean and disinfect his wounds. He bound up his wounds. Well, how did he do that? He must have taken his own clothing and torn his clothing. He set him up on his own donkey. He took him to an inn, which was a place of safety. He took care of him overnight. Then he gave the innkeeper two silver coins, not a small amount of money. And then he said, I'm going to leave, but when I come back then I'm going to repay you for anything else you've done to take care of this man. And you kind of step back and you look at it and you see this enormous sacrifice that this Samaritan stranger is making for this man. You ask yourself, who does that? It sounds too good to be true. And yes, in human terms, he is too good to be true. But such a man has walked this earth. And yes, by his wounds, we are healed. He has applied his blood to our wounds. He has applied his oil, the Holy Spirit, to our hearts and our souls. He has taken his own clothes who were taken off of him and torn apart at the foot of the cross. All those things have happened. And he has come and he has cared for us. And he has left and said, I will return again. Hebrews chapter 7 Now we have a high priest who perfectly fits our needs, completely holy, uncompromised by sin, unlike the other high priest. You see that? He doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sins every day before he can get around to us and our sins. He's done it once and for all. He offered up himself as the sacrifice. You see, this despised and rejected Samaritan, he brought this dying man to the innkeeper. 
And he said, I want you to care for him. And suddenly this innkeeper has this huge responsibility, but that responsibility is not his alone. He said, I'm going to provide everything you need in the present. And then in the future, when I come back, I'm going to repay you for everything that you've done. Hmm. I think I should say that again. (laughs) I'm going to provide everything you need in the present. And when I come back, I'm going to repay you for everything you've done. You see, the world that we live in today, it's a dark and dangerous place. It is the way of blood. And it leaves people all around us broken and dying. And Jesus goes to people in their brokenness, in their woundedness, in their pain. And he applies wine, his blood. And he applies uh, oil, the Holy Spirit, to their wounds. Who are we in the story? We are the innkeeper. We have this partnership with Jesus. He brings broken and hurting people to you and to me. And he tells us here at this inn, Faith Covenant Church, to care for them. This little inn on the side of the road. He brings those wounded, hurting people to us. And he says, care for them, heal their wounds. But the responsibility isn't just thrown onto our shoulders. There's a powerful partnership that is at work here. And I really want you to see this. I want you to see yourself as an innkeeper and Jesus bringing us this church, broken, hurting people. And I know that there are people here today who are hurting and broken. I understand that. But there again, we have this innkeeper's mandate in the world and we are made promises in this mandate that the Lord is going to care for us and provide for us in the process. Number one, I want you to see this. There's always a provision given to the innkeeper, the provision of the innkeeper. You know, about 12 or 13 years ago, my father died pretty suddenly. And uh, we really thought my mom, living up there in Colorado at the time, she was up near Pueblo, that she was going to be financially ruined. She lived in a mountain town called Westcliff. And uh, what mom would do is she would uh, leave during the winter months and she would go back to Cyprus, live with my grandmother, and she would work for about six months out of the year as a substitute teacher. And then uh, she would go back home for six months, but she could make enough money, you know, being a substitute teacher down in Cyprus that she, you know, she could make it. But after a few years, she just kind of sat down with me and Melanie one day. She said, I'm done uh, driving and teaching. She said, I just can't do it anymore. And I remember Melanie and I thought, how is she going to make money? And I asked her, Mom, how are you going to make money? You're going to lose everything. And she said, hey, God is going to provide. That was always Mom's attitude. God's going to provide. Well, then she goes back to Westcliff, beautiful mountain valley up there. And out of nowhere, an Amish community moved to Westcliff. Now, they take wagons everywhere. They can't drive. They can ride in cars. I don't understand that. They can ride in a car. They just can't drive the car. And so a friend of mom's in her church, she wanted to minister to them because they were driving these wagons everywhere on these little two-lane roads. So she bought this old beat-up van, and she started giving them rides. Well, they started asking this lady if, they would, if, she, if she would take them like Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado Springs, Denver, places like that. And so she just didn't have enough time in the day to take all these Amish people places. So she hired my mom 
to be her partner. I called it squeals on wheels because if they had any idea how bad a driver my mom is, they would have never agreed to this, okay? Uh, these are people, I always admire the Amish people. They are people of great faith. They must have been. I can't imagine the prayer meetings they had in that van with my mom driving on mountain roads. I, I, I mean, uh, if you ever got in the car with my mom, it's an act of great faith. It really is getting in a car with my mom when she's driving. But it, you know, at the time, I just marveled at God's provision, how the Lord provided for mom again. Look at verse 35 with me again uh, the, in Luke chapter 10. He took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him. In that time, those two silver coins called the denarius, that would have been good for three weeks of lodging. If you're an innkeeper, that's a good day's work when you've got somebody in the room who's going to be there for three weeks. The Samaritan had promised to pay all of his expenses as long as he cared for the broken man. And so that means that the innkeeper could be fearlessly generous because he knows that the Samaritan has provided for him. Think about that. In our partnership with Jesus, this Faith Covenant Church, this is our inn. This is our inn. And here we care for the hurting, the broken, and the wounded. And we know that we can live our lives with fearless generosity because He has promised to meet our needs in doing so. It's a partnership. Do me a favor. Look up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I know it's kind of long. But what an incredible passage of Scripture where Paul said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Look at that. God is able to bless you abundantly, having all that you need. Look at all of the alls in that verse of Scripture. God doesn't say, I'm going to bless you sometimes. He says, I'm going to bless you at all times when you live generously. He doesn't say, I'm going to meet some of your needs. He says, I'm going to meet all of your needs when you live generously. Does that include car repair? Yes. Does that include college tuition? Yes. God will meet all of your needs. It's the law of the innkeeper. Whatever you need to care for people and live a generous life, God is going to supply it. He will increase your store of seed. Look at there. He says, you will be enriched in every way. That's what we experienced with my mom. I've experienced it in my life so many times. God just miraculously provides to generous people in ways that just kind of just blow your mind. And more ways than we can imagine, God provides for us. Things will happen in your life and mine that you cannot explain when you live a generous life. For one thing, God says He'll bless the work of your hands. Your work will become more productive. Deuteronomy chapter 15, give generously to Him, do so without a grudging heart, and then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. You know, sometimes I think, I think especially, you know, we as men, we struggle with the sense of futility. Does my work matter? Is, is anything really happening? I can't seem to get ahead in life. 
Have you ever thought about that? That when we're generous, when we're generous, we have the blessing of God on our work. And instead of a sense of futility in our work, there's a sense of productivity in our work. We can see ourselves making gains. But then the second thing that happens here that has meant the most to my heart over the years is this promise to the innkeeper. The promise to the innkeeper. He says, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He gave him provision for the present, but also a promise for the future. The most literal translation of what he tells the innkeeper is, when I come back, you're going to get repaid. <laughs> All right? I love that so much. Jesus spoke repeatedly about the reality of generosity being rewarded when he comes back. It was a topic that was very important to him to teach during his time on earth. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Do me a favor now, if you would turn backwards in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. This is a passage of Scripture that I've talked on a couple of times, but it's had such an impact on my life personally, and it just means so much to me. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start at verse 16. Verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Did you notice what happened there? This young, rich young ruler, as you put the stories together, you kind of figure out Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke talk about him. He's a, he's, he's a rich young man who also is a leader, so he's a rich young ruler. And he asked the same question that the Pharisee, the scribe, had asked. What must I do to get eternal life? And you notice, in this case, Jesus' answer is going to be different. You see, the first man, he was in the grip of legalism. And so Jesus diverted him to one way of thinking. This man is in the grip of materialism. And so Jesus is going to divert his thinking in another direction. You know, isn't that so encouraging to you and to me, no matter what we're dealing with, that Jesus knows exactly what is in our heart and exactly what we need. And so, verse 21, he said, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven. Did you catch that? Then come follow me. See, promise, he said, he said, your treasure is not going to be lost. It's just going to be transferred. All right? And just as surely as you go to the bank and make a deposit, a deposit in your checking account, every act of generous giving toward the work that God wants to do in the world is a deposit in an eternal account that God is recording for you in heavenly places. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Whoever gives to one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, surely I declare to you that he shall not lose his reward. No matter how small, every act of generosity in the name of Christ is recorded and it is rewarded. And our money on this earth, which is so uncertain, Paul says, can be touched with immortality and with certainty. Generosity in Jesus' name is the only way you and I can have a treasure that we can be certain we can keep. Luke chapter 12. 
Jesus said, sell the things you have and give that money to those who need it. This is the only way you can keep your riches from being lost. And look at verse 22 there. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Think about this. This young man, he saw the crowds, thousands of people coming to hear Jesus, hanging on his every word. He saw the miracles. I cannot imagine seeing a man who was blind, given his sight again. Seeing a young girl who was dead, being raised to life. Cannot imagine everything that was being said and done. And he heard the sermons. Imagine hearing the Lord Jesus speak in person. There are, those are things that we'll never see. And yet this young man was not in control of his possessions. His possessions had control of him. And imagine the dramatic scene when Jesus watches this young man turn his back on him and walk away and kind of fade into the crowd. Wow. Verse 23. I just imagine Jesus turned around to his disciples just like that. I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. They asked, who then can be saved? You see, the day of Jesus was much like our day today. There was a prosperity theology based on Old Testament passages that was just rampant in the religious life of the country. Wealth was seen as a proof of God's blessing and of your righteousness and of your good living. It's a sign of God's approval. You know God approves of you if you have a lot of money and a lot of possessions. And Jesus just destroyed that notion. And he blew his disciples' minds in the process. And look at verse 27. I love what Peter says here. We have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Don't you love his honesty? What's there going to be for us? Peter, by the way, was a successful businessman from all that we can tell when he dropped his nets and left everything to follow Christ. Most scholars believe that Matthew was a, was a wealthy man, as most tax collectors were. He left behind great wealth to follow Jesus. James and John, they were in business with their father Zebedee. And so when they dropped their nets to go follow Jesus, it infected the entire family, the family business was affected. He said, all of us have made great sacrifices for you, Jesus. Are we going to be repaid in some way? And let's be honest, we all have the same feeling, don't we, at times? You know, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm making this sacrifice. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm giving here. I'm, I'm, I'm helping there. Lord, will I ever be repaid? Will I ever be repaid? Look at verse 28. I don't know if there's any verse of Scripture that's been more important to my heart so many times, like verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. See that little phrase there, I tell you the truth. Jesus said this when he really, really wanted his students, 
his disciples to really lean in and listen. And it's really critical for you to know this, he would say, something like that. I want you to take this as seriously as you possibly can. And it's no different for you and for me. We innkeepers need to grasp this truth. There are four things I want you to look at. Let's look at real quickly in conclusion today. He says, at the renewal of all things. At the renewal of all things. You know, our eternal destiny is not some celestial city, you know, some sterile golden glass thing floating in some other dimension of reality. We're going to spend our eternity here on earth, our planet renewed and restored to its original state before sin entered the picture. That's our eternal destiny. You see, Jesus is the only one who's ever lived who knows the whole truth about eternity. And so he has a one-of-a-kind perspective because he's been there and he's been here and he's gone back. And he, is, he alone is qualified to speak about what is to come. In Matthew chapter 25, he said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he's going to sit on his glorious throne and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you, have been ble- you who have been blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know, it took six days for God to create this world that we love and admire so much. I can't even begin to imagine what he has taken thousands of years to prepare for those who love him. And he also says there, notice he says, everyone, this is not just for his 12 disciples, everyone who has left home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or fields, that's a job, that's your livelihood. (laughs) You see, sacrifice is built in, it's baked in to being a follower of Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus, I know it's not popular to say this today, but it costs us something. They're all, for all of us here, there are things we have to leave behind to live without because we love Jesus more. All right? You're all I've ever needed. And he says, I want you to do this for my sake. For my sake. This means something like, because of me. Uh, when Mark tells this story, Jesus says, I want, you know, if you've left for my sake and for the gospel. You know, there are so many good causes out there that ask for our generosity. You know, Children's Miracle Network, you know, Sierra Club and St. Jude Children's Hospital. Those are all good things. Absolutely. But your eternal reward hinges on giving towards things that are done in Jesus' name for the sake of the gospel. Those salvation enterprises, you know, a missionary spreading the gospel an organization that shares the gospel, a children's minister or a student minister or a worship pastor, something like that, who's sharing the gospel. That's where it comes, in, comes into play. And he said, if you'll do this, he said, notice, you're going to receive a hundred times as much, a hundred times as much. And as a benefit, extra benefit, you know, wait, there's more. Just like the infomercials on TV, right? Eternal life. This past week, there's a big shakeup. You might have seen this in the news. Big, big shakeup at Walt Disney. They brought back their CEO, Bob Iger. And the stockholders were so excited because the price of Disney stock went up as soon as they said, we're getting rid of the old CEO and we're bringing Bob Iger back. 
And it made him, because he had, in the past, when he was in charge of Disney, he had made investors so much money. So I kind of Googled it. I was like, you know, how much was Disney stock worth when Bob Iger started? That kind of thing. Listen to this. If you would have invested $1,000 in Disney stock back in 1997, 25 years ago, that's when Hercules was just coming out in theaters, okay? You would by today have seen a 541% return on that investment. Your $1,000 would now be worth $6,412. And man, if you're an investor, like, man, that's a good return. That is great. By Wall Street standards, that's a good investment. By Wall Street standards. When you read the words of Jesus... It almost looks kind of foolish in a way. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to receive 100 times more than everything that you give for my sake or for the gospel. That's a 10,000% increase on your investment. And so I want you to think about the law of exponential eternal reward. It's like the law of gravity. It's always present and it's always working. And it cannot be denied, and it's working even when you don't see it. Every act of generosity is an eternal transaction. And when Jesus returns, you will be rewarded. All the people that we bring into our inn, and we we help, and we heal, and we care for, everything that we invest, everything that we give toward that purpose, we will be rewarded handsomely. You don't lose anything you give for the sake of the gospel. You trade it for so much more. And so when Paul told Timothy, tell the rich not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, he added this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see that? There's a certainty, there's a certainty that accompanies generosity. It takes faith, absolutely, but there is a certainty that accompanies generosity in such an uncertain world. And the last thing, the purpose of an innkeeper. Jesus told that scribe, he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? And he said, oh, the Samaritan. He said, go and do likewise. You know, we live in such an uncertain world today. And lately, it seems like everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And it feels like we can't be certain about anything. And there's some truth to that. In this world, at this time, we cannot be certain about anything. But there is one thing. There is one thing. Look at Hebrews 12. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So for the rest of my days, I'm 57 years old. For the rest of my days, what do I do? I say, Lord, I'm just a humble innkeeper. I'm just a humble innkeeper. We have this humble inn on the side of the road. Faith Covenant Church, and Lord, while we're here, let us have grace and serve you. Lord, let us be a generous people. Let us be a giving people here at Faith Covenant Church on the side of Florida Street. 
give ourselves to caring for the wounded, the broken, the hurting people that you bring to us, Lord Jesus. And when we live this way, we can be certain that there is a reward waiting for us in eternal places that far exceeds all that we've ever given to that purpose. Can we just bow our heads this morning for just a moment? And I just want to ask you to stop for a minute. And I know it's been a busy, busy week and there have been so many things going on. And the last thing you want is to hear the preacher talk about money. But generosity, we're entering into the Christmas season. And we have to think about this because the Bible tells us that God so loved the world. He so loved you and me that he gave. He gave. It's just built into the construct of the Christian life to be a giving people. To be innkeepers. To be innkeepers. And the things that Jesus gives to us, he puts into our hands. We use to care for the broken, the dying, the hurting, and the wounded. With the full confidence and the certainty that the day will come. That it will all be given back and much, much more. And eternal life as an added benefit. And so I just want to ask you to go before the Lord this morning. Just in a real simple way. Just a real simple prayer this morning. Lord, we just give me the heart of an innkeeper. Lord, give me the heart of an innkeeper. Lord, just put it in my heart to care for the broken, the hurting, the dying. And not just to care, but to give. To live generously toward those people that you bring into my life, into my inn, into my church. And then ask the Lord to make Faith Covenant Church the kind of inn along the side of the road where people can be healed from their wounds. So I just ask you to pray about those two things this morning, and I'll pray for us and we'll be dismissed here in a moment. Lord, we just love you so much. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that all of us here can look back in a time in our life, Lord, when we were broken and wounded and dying by the side of the road. And Lord Jesus, you met us and you brought your healing. You disinfected our wounds by the power of your blood. And you brought healing to our wounded hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you took us to an end. You took me to a church, and those innkeepers cared for me and healed me. I thank you for that today. Lord, all of us have that story. I just pray, Father, that you would just use us, Father, that the story might go on. Use us here at the corner of Florida and Tristram Street, Father, to be that kind of an inn, to be those kinds of people. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us faith, Father, faith to trust you with everything. Lord, that would be our confession today. You're all that I needed. And so we just love you today. And we just ask, Father, that you would just set us free, Father, to live our lives generously. It's in your name we pray and for your glory. Amen.